This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Good to see everyone here this morning. I don't know if you grew up in a tradition of just Christmas or if you celebrated Advent, but as John and Rachel just said, Advent is a season. It's not just a day. It's a season where we look back to the first coming of Jesus, the incarnation of Christ, in gratitude, and we anticipate the second coming. And in the middle is this time of waiting. And uh, how are you, like, I don't know about you, like, how are you with waiting in general? Like, uh, I don't know if I'm, am I the only one that got in trouble this year for putting up the Christmas tree, like, way too early? Like, um, like a week before Thanksgiving, like, the lights, the tinsel, it was already up. My family was not happy with me. I, I'm not, I've never been a good, like, waiter. It's just, it's just not, not the thing. And, uh, you know, back in the 60s, you probably remember at least hearing about this, there's a psychologist named Walter Michel that did the famous marshmallow test. Do you remember this? He got a bunch of four-year-olds in a room and gave them each a marshmallow. said, it's really simple. All you have to do, you, you can eat your one marshmallow right now, or if you wait 20 minutes, you get a second marshmallow. And then they would just kind of sit back and watch to see which kids ate the marshmallow and which kids waited for 20 minutes. Well, they tracked these kids all the way through high school. And spoiler alert, like if you waited for the marshmallow, good things happened. Uh, For example, you would score an average of 210 points higher on your SATs if you waited for the marshmallow. So like I'm sure some of you in this room right now like, you would have no problem, like, waiting, right? Like, some of, you in, some of you in this room would be like, hey, if I wait another 20 minutes, do I get, like, two marshmallows, right? Like, you, you could wait all day to get as many marshmallows as you wanted. Others of you, right, like, you're going to, like, rationalize and go, well, marshmallows are high in calories, so I should really only have one anyway, as an excuse to eat the one marshmallow. And still others, not naming any names, you're the kid that would like punch the kids around you to get their marshmallows right there in the moment, right? Like some of you are out there as, as well. Um, I like cards on the table. Like I, that's, I'm not a good waiter. In fact, I was the kid. Have you seen like the advent calendars with the chocolate in them? I remember being a kid and like, I'd get to like Christmas Eve and like, there's no more chocolate, right? And uh, I guess I got a bunch of defective advent calendars. Uh, that must have been it. Couldn't have been because I was literally stealing the chocolate ahead of time. Like, waiting is hard. Waiting is really, really hard. And yet, in Advent, that's what we talk about, right? We're looking back to the first coming of Jesus, the incarnation. We're anticipating his second coming. And in, in the middle, there's just this waiting. Now, Let's, let's be real for a second. Waiting can be exciting if you're waiting for, like, you know, Christmas Eve you're waiting, or for Christmas Day, you're waiting for Christmas gifts. But it can also create this tension. In fact, um, I find it very interesting that the Hebrew word for waiting, one of the Hebrew words is the word kavah, which literally means to wait. But it is also related. That word kavah comes from the word kav, which means cord. And I love this. Think about this. They understood that waiting, when you pull this, 
it creates a tension, right? This tension that is waiting for a release. You can release this way. You could cut the cord. This is kavah in the Hebrew, in, in the Hebrew imagination, waiting. I want us to be like very like just vulnerable this morning and, and talk about this because I know that there are people right here that are here this morning that you're in a state of this right now and it's not the exciting like, man, I can't wait for vacation next week or I can't wait for this. It's a different kind of waiting. You're waiting for God to show up and it, it plays out in different ways. For some of you, this right now is like your financial situation. Like, in the back of your mind, there's this like low-level anxiety that you have of, am I going to have enough money to make the bills this month? Some of you, like, you're thinking like, man, I should be so excited about Christmas, but you're just wondering like, am I going to have enough money to actually get presents for the people that I want to get presents for? And you're waiting for the raise, you're waiting for the job, you're waiting for something, you're waiting for God to show up, and you're not seeing it. And so you're here. Others of you, you're waiting on something for God to show up in regards to your body or maybe to somebody that you're close to. They're sick. Uh, that Maybe they had a, a physical injury or a chronic illness or they've gotten the worst diagnosis imaginable. Or maybe it's a mental health issue and you're just like, God, if you would just show up and heal me of this or heal my family member of this, that would be amazing. And what's worse is you see like you see other people that get healing and like you're, you're excited for them, but you're like, yeah, but why, God, why not me? Like, why aren't you showing up? And so you're like this, you're kavah. You're waiting in tension for God to show up. Still others of you, right now, your, your biggest thing right now is you feel just incredibly alone in the world. You don't feel connected to anyone. And so you're waiting. And this is, this is really, really difficult, right? Because especially if you've had a moment in your life where you felt like deeply connected and in community, you know what it's like to have that and to feel the love of like the closeness. And right now you don't feel that anymore. You feel, you feel disconnected and you see it in other people, but you don't see it in yourself. And you're like, God, I need you to show up. For some of you, that's looking for your, for your mate, for your spouse for life, and you're still waiting. And you're like, God, are you ever gonna show up for this in my life? How can I be among all these people and yet still feel so disconnected? And then the last one I thought of is relational conflict. I think the holidays, have you noticed it just kind of brings all this to the surface? You're waiting for God to come in and to, to mend and to heal the broken relationships in your family. And this feels especially difficult because, you know, after all, you know, they're never going to change. And if they're never going to change, how's God ever going to have a chance to mend the relationship? Here's the problem. When all these things happen, our temptation is to go, I think God just forgot about me. I mean, God didn't forget about them or them, but clearly he's forgotten about me. And the temptation is to go, well, I guess I just need to like, just go. I guess this whole faith thing didn't work out for me. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. And we're going to look at this theme of hope that is so crucial for us. Is that we need to understand that in those moments, in those moments of kavah, when we're like, God, where are you? I need you to show up. What we see time and time again in scripture is that when it feels like God is the most absent, when it feels like God is late, 
he is often doing his best work and he is active. We're going to look at a text this morning. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at the story of Simeon and Anna, and we're going to start in verse 25. Take a look. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Let me give you a little bit of context here. In this moment, um, John and Rachel had read the prophecy earlier in Isaiah 9. The Jews were longing for this Messiah figure to come. And for 400 years, nothing from the scripture or from the prophets, it felt quiet. And I'm thinking, man, like for us, if we go a week or a month without hearing from God, we're like, what in the world? 400 years, generation after generation are waiting for Messiah to come, and he's not there. They're waiting every single day. And as you can imagine, like there are some people that are like, you know what, we're just not doing this anymore. This is just silly. Like we've waited our entire lives, and Messiah isn't going to show up. And so some of them began to become unfaithful. They just left. They started going into other religions, like the pagan religions, But there was always a remnant. There was always this group of people, not always a big group, but there was always a group of people that every day would wake up and go, God, is this the day? Is this the day that Messiah is going to come? And I love this picture of of, um, Simeon, right, who's hanging out at the temple. And you can just imagine him coming up to the, the child dedication, which would have happened 41 days after the baby is born, And you can just picture Simeon going, okay, God, is this the one? No. Okay, is this the one? No. And he continues to do it. And he's faithful every single day. I imagine people are probably looking at Simeon going, man, this guy's a little bit out there. He's sitting there going like, hey, I've been told that like uh, I'm not going to die until I've seen this Savior. Right? We know that guy, right? And they're like, okay, just, you know, pat him on the back, humor him. I'm sure he means well. He's harmless. Simeon kept showing up, and he kept having an expectation. Look at verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and let me just pause right there. Notice where this takes place. It takes place in the temple You need to understand that like whenever the temple shows up in the gospels, we need to pay attention because what the Jews believed is that the temple is where heaven and earth met. Now, we have like some unlearning to do because in our culture, somewhere along the line, we got the idea that earth is down here and heaven is out there, which is, it's not a biblical concept of heaven and earth. I remember being a kid looking up and seeing the moon and thinking that was heaven. Like that's our, that's our concept right? The Jewish concept, and um, we see this all throughout scripture, is that heaven and earth are more like this. And the temple, the temple itself, is where God was dwelling. It was where heaven and earth would meet. And so oftentimes you'll see in scripture that the temple, you need to pay attention to the temple because the temple is where heaven is invading earth. And that happens right here. Because finally, Simeon had clung to the promise of God 
and no telling how long he was waiting. Year after year, he's doing this. But then all of a sudden in this moment, right, in this moment, he holds the Savior of the world in his hands. What do you do when you've been waiting for that long and you're finally holding the promise of God? Well, we don't have to guess because he breaks out into, by the way, what would become one of the early songs of the early church. And it starts here in verse 29. Listen to this. I love this. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Can you just imagine this moment? Simeon is finally getting to hold the promises of God in his hands. And it's a beautiful moment. What can we learn for us, though, as we are experiencing Kavah? If you're in here this morning and you're feeling it, you're waiting on God to show up, you're waiting on God to heal, you're waiting on God to mend a relationship, you're waiting on God to give you a relationship, whatever it is, What is it that this text can teach us as we wait? Three things. Number one is this. We can wait and grieve and hope. We can wait and grieve and hope. Uh, I was a student minister at a really young age. Like, Clay is 23, and, you know, poor guy gets, like, mistaken for a student half the time. Like, I get it because I was, like, right around that same age, too. I was, like, 21, 22 when I was a student minister, and... One of my favorite things always has been to do uh, mission trips with, with small groups of people. It's one of my favorite things. And as a student minister, like probably a, one of the best things that we ever did was these, these mission trips. We would go to Mexico and see God do just amazing things. And this particular year, we were so excited because we were going to be taking a mission trip to Israel. And I took a group of like older high school students and uh, college students, and this was going to be, in our minds, the best mission trip that we ever went on. Then reality hits, and we had, we had this amazing tour of Israel, and then we got to work, uh, to work with the church there in Israel. And after having all these amazing experiences in these other mission trips, the best way I could say it is it was just the most mundane, like routine sort of week ever. Like it felt like, our group felt like, like, why are we even here? Like they don't even need us. And we were doing these things and the people were like kind of thankful. But compared to every other mission trip that we had been been on, there was this feeling of like, man, this is odd. It doesn't feel like God has shown up yet. And I remember being a young student minister going, how in the world am I going to lead this group out of this like feeling of like, what, what are we even doing here? And it was, it was a Wednesday morning. I think we were uh, there for another two days. And in my reading plan uh, for Scripture that morning was this passage. And I'm reading the passage. And those of you that know me know I'm not like a, like a, I don't throw this around. I don't use God talk a lot. I don't say God told me this or God told me this. It, that kind of makes me nervous most of the time. But in this moment, clearly, not audibly, but clearly, as I'm reading this passage about Simeon, God says to me, Tim, sometimes you don't get to hold the baby. Sometimes you don't get to hold the baby. And think about this. 
that's just true. Like, we get this picture of Simeon and Anna, but there were thousands of faithful men and women that came and lived their lives and were faithful and died and never got to hold the baby. And the question is, what do you do? What do you do when you don't get to hold the baby? When you're still in kava? Like, how do you manage that? Do you just say, okay, I think the whole thing's a sham and, and walk away? What do you do with the pain? How do you process that? Well, I love this because we don't have to guess. <laughs> There's a whole book in the Bible that is a tool of what we can do with the pain, what we can do in our waiting. And it's the book of Psalms. Over a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament and complaint to God. Um, I was a skater punk growing up. These were the original like punk rock songs, right? Like these were the songs, or if you're a country singer, this is like, you know, you're going to talk about how bad your life is. Like the Psalms have it, right? The Psalms give us a roadmap of what we can do when we're waiting and when we're waiting in pain and we want God to show up. Let me just give you a few of these. Because lament is anger and it's frustration and it's doubt and it's all these things, but it's anchored in a trust in the sovereign one. Listen to this. Psalm 13 says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See what the psalmist is doing here? Pouring out. Like, we don't even have a category for this. Hey, God, are you going to answer me? Like, because uh, if you don't, if you don't show up, I'm just going to die. Like, we don't, that's not something that we typically think that we can even say to God. But then the psalmist goes up in the end, verse 5, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. You see, it's anchored in this knowledge and this hope and this trust that God is our salvation. Or how about this one? Maybe this is just me, but you ever get racing thoughts at night? Have you ever woken up in a panic and you just can't get this thought out of your mind? And it feels, I mean, it feels dark. It feels like there's no hope. There's a psalm for that. Actually, there's a good number of psalms. Psalms of the night. Psalm 77 is one of them. Listen to this. It says, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the, Lord, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Again, church, we're not good at this. Like, we, like we, we totally understand worship songs, and like, one of, you know, one of my favorite songs is, Your Love Endures Forever. This psalm, can you imagine singing this? Instead of singing, Your Love Endures Forever, the psalmist says, Your, unfa your unfailing love has vanished forever. <laughs> That'd be a great song, right? Let's end with, uh, Your unfailing love has vanished forever. And yet, 
There it is, right there in the Psalms, giving us a roadmap to pour out our heart, which by the way, God already knows your pain. God already knows your doubts. He already knows your frustration and your anger. The difference here is that we pour it out toward a God that has an infinite love for us. And God will meet you in that moment of pain. Hear that. God will meet you in that moment of pain. When we're like this, what do we do? We don't know how to deal with pain. And so we typically will go to really unhealthy things. We'll go to, we'll go to drinking. We'll go to, to drugs. We'll go to social media. We will go to any distraction that we can think of to pretend this is not where we are. And let me tell you something. Our bodies were not created to hold in this tension forever. Like your body, like there's literally a book called The Body Keeps the Score. When we don't do anything with the pain, it's going to express itself in unhealthy ways. The Psalms here, the Psalms of Lament, give us a chance to come before God who already knows our heart and lay it all out and say, God, like, I need you right now more than I ever have because here are the things that I'm feeling. There's another Psalm, Psalm 88, that is incredibly incredibly hopeful to me, even though it sounds dark. We were actually in community group this week, and uh, we were talking about the Psalms of Lament, and my beautiful wife, Robin, brings up that uh, she talked about how, like, like, we really have to learn as a church how to, like, lament and how to enter into suffering, and I said to her, I'm like, oh, yeah, but, like, lament, right? It's so that, like, our lament should lead to action, Right? And she just kind of looks at me and is like, sometimes, sometimes you just lament. And it hit me, like, I, like literally driving home, I'm like, man, that, there's so much, there's wisdom in that, right? Yes, we want to act, we want to get up, we want to be the psalm that like starts low but then goes up, but then sometimes we don't have the strength. Like, don't tell me I have to get up right now. Like, I just need to sit and I need to process and I need to pour out my heart to a God that has my back. And you get to a Psalm 88 and you see a psalmist that does the same thing. The very last verse in Psalm 88 says this, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Literally in Hebrew, there's no verb there. It just says my friends utter darkness. Can you imagine like ending the song that way? Hey, yeah, I've got a best friend now and it's utter darkness. That's great, right? And that's the end. But check this out. You can lament like that because as believers in Jesus, Psalm 88 is tough, but you also know that Psalm 89 is coming where the psalmist says, let me sing the Lord's kindness forever. You can pour out, you can lament, you can cry, you can yell because we know the end of the story. Because we know that ultimately God is going to take all the messed up bad things in our life and redeem them. And we hold on to that promise. We lament, but we anchor it in a trust for a day, a better day that is coming. That's the first one. Number two is this. We can be thankful in the present for both God and his provisions. I love the picture here. This picture of Simeon holding the baby, 
It's one that I've had in my mind for years. I love the, the visual picture of Simeon holding salvation, like literally in his hands. And I just have to ask you, how are you, like, what is your thankfulness? What does your gratitude habit look like? Like, are you able to hold the baby? Are you able to express the gratitude that God has given? Two sort of ideas here that I think are incredibly important. Number one, in order to be thankful, we have to be present. We have to be present. Um, these little devices that are in your pocket, these little computers, they're vying for your attention and they're vying for you to not be present in the moment, right? It keeps us distracted. And I want to tell you something. If we're distracted, it's really, really hard to be thankful for what God is doing in the moment. We have to have eyes that are always open and listening for where God is at work. I want to think about this. The temple priests were there that day that Simeon was holding the baby. The educated were there. The religious leaders were there. All, all kinds of spectators were there. And they had no idea that the Savior of the world is right there in their midst. But Simeon did. And Anna did. Because they were waiting in anticipation. What would happen if we were allow ourselves to not be distracted and to be fully present for the promises. Listen, you may think, well, what promises? If you're a follower of Jesus, like you've already received the promises of God. It's not that one day you're going to die and go to heaven. It's that when you trusted Jesus, you stepped into the kingdom of God in that moment. And that is secured. That is sealed. We can praise God. You can hold the baby at any time if we will just stop and be present enough to do that. Second thing I would say on this is that thankfulness is more of a discipline than a feeling. Here's what I mean by that. If you just wait to be thankful for when you get a feeling of thankfulness, all you're gonna get is you're gonna become entitled instead, right? Because often the feeling doesn't come. You're just gonna expect good things to happen to you. Sometimes it works in the opposite direction. We cultivate the discipline of thanking God for things. And the feeling will catch up to that later. So at your dinner tables, what does it look like to say, hey, let's just go around and like, you have to like deal with like the kids rolling their eyes, right? But like, what's one thing that you're thankful of today? One of the things that we do here at Real Life, every staff meeting that we do, we start off the meeting with what do we want to thank God for? Like, where have we seen God show up? You see, we cultivate that discipline and the feeling will catch up. That's how we hold the baby. Finally, the last one is this. We wait with anticipation and hope. Look at the last few verses. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with, fast, with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. It says that Anna was advanced in age. We think that Simeon was probably old as well. Um, this phrase, advanced in age, um, love it because in Scripture, every time you see that phrase, Almost every time, something God is going to show up and do something amazing in that person's life, a miracle, right? God is going to show up when he shows up. And notice that she doesn't say 
that she went to all the people in the last verse and said that she was looking forward to like going to heaven when she died. She says, I'm looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon said, I'm looking forward to the consolation of Israel, the hope of Israel. They're waiting in anticipation. Listen, this disconnected life that we somehow believe that like we're going to live our Christian life down here and if we're good enough, one day we're going to go to heaven when we die, that is foreign to Scripture, right? Scripture is not about us going somewhere out there. It's about heaven invading earth like we talked about in the temple. It's about a God that is sovereign and can do whatever he wants that's going to come and make all these things that feel like this right now, he's going to come and make them right and he's going to do that here. When we understand that, it changes everything. Genesis 1 and 2, we start with God created heaven and earth, and in Genesis 1 and 2, there's a tree and a river. You go to the end of the story, Revelation 21 and 22, what do you have? You have a new heaven, you have a new earth, and guess what? A new tree and a new river. Do you have a garden? No, it starts in a garden. Bad news if you don't like cities. It ends with a city coming down, but it's a city that is without sin and not marred by the effects of the fall. That is the end of the story. We are a people of the book, and we know the end of the story. So if you're feeling kavah right now, you're feeling this tension of, God, when are you going to show up? I want to tell you something this morning. Advent is about us knowing and anticipating the end of the story. What is the end of the story? The end of the story is we have something better than a temple. We have Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate place where heaven and earth come together. And God loved us so much that this Jesus comes and dies on a tree for us, for our sins, was buried and is raised up three days later in victory. And so our hope, hear this, Our hope is not like the way that we use it, like, man, I hope Tennessee wins this week, right? Like, I hope. No, our hope is different. Our hope is rooted in the event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's already happened. The victory is sealed. And so now we can't wait for the end of the story of God coming back and heaven invading earth like it never has before. If you're here this morning and you're waiting and it hurts, I just want to say, I get it. We lament and we grieve, but we don't do it in hopelessness. We do it in hope. We do it in a certain hope, looking back at what Jesus has already done and longing for this earth, for heaven to invade earth like it never has before. I don't know about you, but that fires me up. That allows me to sing and to worship and to sing hallelujah in the hardest, most difficult times. That's my prayer for us as a church, is that as we go through Advent, we wouldn't have tunnel vision and just pretend everything is okay, that we would sing hallelujah in, in the midst of being in Kavah, knowing that we worship a God that is going to win the day, and we know the end of the story. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so thankful because there are so many in this world that suffer, but they do it without any hope. There are so many in this world that, that wait, but they don't even know why they're waiting anymore. And so, Father, we confess that there are too many times 
that we just try to distract ourselves to death so that we don't have to deal with the pain. Father, I pray that this morning that there are people in this room that are grieving. There are people that are waiting for you to show up, wondering if you're ever going to show up. Father, today I, I pray, Father, that you would just meet them in this moment with incredible hope and incredible peace, knowing that you're going to rule the day. We long for the day when heaven invades earth, when you come back and establish your kingdom here, Father. God, we praise you. (laughs) You're a God that puts up with us, puts up with our doubts, puts up, up with our fears, puts up with our anger, and you've loved us infinitely. And so we celebrate that this morning. We celebrate you this morning. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Let's continue to worship this morning. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.